0: me sing this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 1, verse number 7. We'll read just a short verse. There's a lot that is encapsulated in it. As a matter of fact, the entire book of Proverbs is built on this one verse. So we'll read the one verse and then we'll talk a little bit about the way Proverbs is set up and launch into our lesson here today it's good to see ronnie in the house of god today amen praise god hallelujah thank you jesus proverbs chapter one verse number seven the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And for a few moments here today, I want to speak on the fear factor, the fear factor. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your blessing and your goodness to us in the house of God today. We thank you for your word that brings strength to us, and I pray that you would strengthen everybody that has entered into the sanctuary today as we have come to lift up our voice and give to you praise and give you glory. Amen. We ask these things in your great name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. can be seated. I said Proverbs is built on this verse because Proverbs is all about instruction and knowledge. It is a wisdom book along with Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. These are wisdom literature and they are general wisdom. Sometimes people want to literally take each verse in Proverbs as if that is something that is going to absolutely happen. That's not the way that you're supposed to read wisdom literature. You're supposed to read it with a greater percentage that if you follow these things, these will be better outcomes because you're following wisdom and understanding. For example, I'll give you an example. If you're looking for one, a soft answer, turn away wrath generally. And in most cases, that is very true, (laughs) but it just may be the case that you give a soft answer and it's not reciprocated. That doesn't mean that somehow Proverbs and the Scripture is in egregious error. Here is another one. Raise up a child, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Powerful passage of Scripture doesn't necessarily mean that a child, when the child comes of age does not go their own direction and make their own decisions. It does mean, percentage-wise, there's a greater percentage if you train up your child in the way of the Lord that they will follow that way. So it's general wisdom. It is not meant to be specific. It is supposed to provide understanding and knowledge and comprehension. And so in Proverbs chapter 1, verse number 7, we get the, the undergirding, the the foundation for the entire book of proverbs. And sometimes proverbs can can feel like it's just a random bunch of sayings, but if you really look at proverbs, you find out that there is some instruction that is given. It is Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, and he is writing words of understanding and instruction and judgment and equity and all of these things to a young man so he is He is transferring knowledge, and he's saying a wise person will hear and will increase their learning, and a person of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels, and so he lays out some Proverbs. What's fascinating, if you do a deep dive into Proverbs, and if you are just reading Proverbs, some people say one chapter of Proverbs a day is very good Daily common sense, wisdom, and there's so much that can be found in it, and I think that's very, very true. However, if you do a deep dive in it, you see that there are some principal characters that are in Proverbs. This is not my lesson here today, but it is by way of introduction, kind of leading into what we're talking about today. There are some principal characters that are of ancient times, and they're of modern times, so they never retire, they never pass off the scene. And there are three of them that are introduced, and they're scattered throughout the wise sayings of Solomon to a younger generation. Pursue wisdom and understanding, and know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so the three principal characters are wisdom. Wisdom is walking around through the chief places of the city, she's calling out to people that pass by. The second character is folly. Folly is also in the city, and folly is also calling out to people, whether it's robbery. You can even find gang uh, mentalities and things in here. Stealing, folly, do, just doing stupid stuff is what folly is. And sometimes if you're not careful and you're not listening to wisdom, you get caught up in stuff. I was just reading the news here Uh, Recently, we're on a party boat around the Bahamas, a bunch of high school seniors were on a boat, and one of the students decided, probably on a dare, I don't know what the reasoning was, he jumped out of the boat into the waters. It's very shark-infested water, the boat is moving, so by the time somebody knows that somebody's not on board is too far away. They did a search, could not find him, and they eventually gave up search and believed that the sharks probably got him. He probably thought, I'm just going to jump out here. They're going to stop the boat and somebody's going to throw out a life vest, pull me back in, and it will be good for some laughs. That's folly. Folly sometimes can entrap you and get you involved in stuff that is not wise, that does not produce understanding, but is folly. And so the wise man is talking to a younger generation and he said be careful for folly because folly is out there and folly is calling to you and this goes uh, this goes from every every bit of crime you can think of it goes to addiction it goes to party lifestyle clubbing it goes to immorality it goes to a lot of things if you let folly direct you and control you you can end up in a world of hurt I'd rather follow wisdom Amen. And then the other one is the strange woman. The strange woman is, is is categorized as a woman, but it's really just immorality in its broadest general sense. <clears throat> and so the strange woman is always on the street corner, always calling to the young man that's going by who has no clue what he's doing. In one particular case, it says he's like an ox going to the slaughter. His footsteps going to her house are like... Footsteps on a pathway to hell. He doesn't recognize and understand what he's doing. He's so caught up in his own lust and his own mind. He's not controlling his emotions, and so he gets led astray. And so the wise man is writing to these three, to the young man, to the young people. It's young man, but it's general wisdom. Solomon is writing to a younger generation, and he's saying there are two principal characters that will will destroy you. And there is one that will direct you. And, and that's what's amazing about the Bible. He doesn't sugarcoat the strange woman. And it could be a strange man. And he doesn't sugarcoat folly either. He lays it, just lays it out there. This is what folly's going to say. Come with us and we will steal and rob and take our field. And he lays it all out there. But in the midst of all of that, wisdom is walking around through the city. And wisdom, in one particular, this is so cool. This is not the message. This is just the introduction. But it's cool because at one point, wisdom is walking around saying, I will pour out my spirit to you if you will listen to me. Well, that's directly connected to a New Testament understanding of the Holy Ghost that pours out wisdom and understanding to us so that in the world that we live in, full of folly and full of strange things, there is a wisdom and a strength and a Holy Ghost that directs us. Fear, when we talk about fear, is usually something that is a negative. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse number 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Most of the time, when someone is talking about fear, and I want to leave this with you today because really what we're doing today is we're trying to educate everybody that is in the house of the Lord here today, that there are different aspects and components of fear. We want to understand what those different aspects are, and then how can we apply that to our spiritual life? So is everybody on board with that? When you walk away today, I want you to know something. There's a fear factor that is not It's not constituted in the negative lower approximation of definition of what fear is. There is a greater level of fear that comes through the scripture. I want you to leave with that kind of fear. Because if you will leave with that kind of fear, you'll leave with some power. You'll leave with some control. It's a fear factor. Most of the time... Fear is viewed as negative. It's a distressing, negative sensation induced by a perceived threat. And it is a universal emotion. All persons, consciously or unconsciously, have fear in some sort. And it is fear that is innate within us that gives us the ability to recognize danger. And that leads to us either confronting it Or fleeing from it this is why they call it the fight or flight response but in so those are good viewpoints of fear in our emotional and psychological makeup of humanity but in extreme cases and this is where it's typically negative fear freezes or paralyzes a person's response they become paralyzed they don't know what to do they don't know where to turn they 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 are they are frozen and they can't move forward most of the time fear has to do with future events such as the worsening of a situation or the continuation of a situation that is unacceptable fear can be an instant reaction to something that is presently happening it could be whatever the source it can be a controlling Force and factor in a person's life. We're talking about today a fear factor, but a higher level of fear. Not a baser, lower level of fear, but a higher level of fear. That lower level of fear can freeze you. It can cause you to be paralyzed. It can control your life to where you don't know where to turn or what to do. I've come here today to introduce to you the idea that there is something greater than that lower level of fear that can control you, stifle you, and stop you. God did not intend for you to walk around with that kind of fear. Somebody say amen. God has not given to you a spirit of fear fear, but he's given to you something that is greater. There's a lot of common fears, ghosts, evil powers, cockroaches. I think it's about time for the cockroaches to start coming around. They're harmless. They're harmless. They're they're not worse than an ant. But they are scary looking things. Just call them water bugs. That makes it better. <laughs> Spiders, snakes. The people are fearful of heights, water, enclosed spaces, tunnels, bridges, needles. Some people will pass out when a needle approaches them. Social rejection, failure. Some people have fear of examinations. Some people have a fear of public speaking. In an innovative test of what people fear the most, a man by the name of Bill Tanser analyzed the most frequent online search queries that involve the phrase fear of. And... This followed the assumption that people tend to seek information on the issue that concerns them the most. They have a fear of something they'll look up fear of. and His top ten list of fears consisted of flying, heights, clowns, intimacy, death, rejection, people, snakes, failure, and driving. Public speaking can be a great fear. People may be comfortable speaking inside of a room, but when it becomes public speaking, fear enters into, here's how it happens. There's a suspicion that whether the words uttered are correct or incorrect because there are many people to judge it. And so because of that, they're fearful of saying anything because they're afraid That they will be judged based on what they say consciously. And sometimes when you're public speaking unconsciously, because sometimes you say stuff that you didn't mean to say or doesn't come out right. And so because of that, there is a phobia of standing up in front of people and being vulnerable in that way because they're afraid of somebody will judge them harshly. So I looked up, I wondered, is, is this something that happens maybe yearly that people take some time and study? And I found out that Chapman University every year, every year for the past 10 years, has done a survey of American fears. So the top 10 fears of 2022, they found these top 10 fears. Number one, corrupt government officials. <laughs> Number two, people I love becoming seriously ill. Number three, Russia using nuclear weapons. Four, people I love dying. That's connected to two. Five, The U.S. becoming involved in another world war. Six, pollution of drinking water. Seven, not having enough money for the future. Eight, economic financial collapse. Nine, pollution of oceans, rivers, and lakes. Ten, biological warfare. So the top ten things that the U.S. is fearing are represented in that study. It would be interesting to know what 2023 is going to be. There is a great, great fear. A lot of underlying negative lower level understanding of fear is based on the fear of the unknown. When something is risky, it's risky. I'm stepping outside of the comfort zone and I'm committing to something else. This becomes a potential source of stress. And so, because it's unknown, I'm fearful of what is the unknown. This is very, very much a part of our psyche, and we can go through periods in history, we're coming out of a period of history that has still instilled some fear in the way people think, and, and how they operate, and how they connect, and what they do, and and there's ramifications and ripple effects and consequences of that. This is a negative fear. Amen. I want to tell you today that I've come today to reveal to you that there is something that is greater than that lower level of strata. God never intended for anybody to live in that kind of a, 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 a pattern, of uh, that kind of a, a prison cell, that kind of a judgment upon your life. You should not be living based on fear. Praise God. You're in the house of God today. Thank God that you are here. Let me encourage you. I don't know what you might be struggling with, but I know this. It's not God's intention that you should be paralyzed or controlled by something that you have no control over. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I can't control what's going to happen tomorrow. I can control what's happening right now. And what's happening right now, I'm in the house of God. I came to give God glory. I came to worship him. I'm not going to be controlled by fear. Praise God. We need to clap our hands and thank God that he he gives to us liberty. He gives to us freedom. I'm not I'm not denying the difficulty of the human experience. Every single one of us has struggles. I know that. I'm with you in lockstep. But I want to encourage you today. You don't have to live in that lower level strata of understanding and living. God's got better things for you. You know, the Bible talks about that lower level of fear. As a matter of fact... The scripture tells us that there is a level of fear that controls us and keeps us from extending ourselves in the kingdom. By the way, let me just interject this because it's coming and I want to make sure that (laughs) everybody's aware and understands and knows. So we're doing a harvest, a complete harvest. That's kind of the theme for this year. And we're trying to, from every area, from going out into the community to greeting people to the Welcome Center, to the ushers, getting people in, making them feel comfortable. And uh, we're trying to do our best. And there's some really, really good people that have a great burden that are trying to make this happen. So one of the things that is going to happen in a few days, just so that you see it and know and it doesn't throw you off is there will be a pew that is reserved with one family sitting on it. And it will say reserved. You you may say, well, why is that? That's because that family is responsible for that entire pew. And they're responsible for the entire pew because if a guest comes, we don't, typically, the traditional way was leave some area in the back so that guests could come in and not feel, you know, like, we don't want them coming to the front. I mean, that's, that's... We're so glad you're here. We have a place for you. And then we walk them right to the front seat so that everybody can look at the back of their head. So that's that's probably not the best place to put guests right up in the front. And in the back is always a challenge because you're sitting back there. So, the old traditional way was leave some room in the back so that guests could be back. So what we're doing is we're eliminating both of those, and we're creating somewhere in the middle with a family that says, I want to be that family that greets guests and make them feel connected. So when somebody comes in, an usher knows, okay, I know where to take them. I take them to the pew that's reserved to that family, and I'm going to sit them with that family. That family is going to connect with them. Hey, how are you doing? Make them feel welcome. That's going to happen so that we've got place for guests to come and sit. So. It just may happen that it might be the pew that you're sitting on that the family is also sitting in. We got to make some room. So, if that happens, just move to another pew. It's all right. It's okay. What's really exciting is we're connecting with people coming in and making them feel like they are welcome. And we want that to happen in the house of God. Praise God. fear will keep us that fear there could be see this one. they say the older that you get in ministry the less risks you take and that becomes a problem in your ministry because if you get to the point where you're tired of of fighting is not the right word but you're tired of wrestling <laughs> With some things uh, that you get into a a mode of just you're just comfortable and you're just kind of rolling through the motions and you don't want to cause any waves and you don't want to cause any problems with anybody. And so you get kind of apathetic in some ways. You don't you're, you're not as creative in terms of leadership. You're not casting vision because you know that every bit of vision that you cast is going to have some reciprocal response there's going to be some blowback, and when you 're young in ministry, you think you have all the answers, so you don 't care I know what i'm doing, and nobody else knows what they 're doing I mean that 's typically not the way that that 's not the way you're supposed to approach it, but when you're younger, you have more of a tendency to push things because you think should be different, and so you're willing to have that wrestling match and try to figure out how to make it work, even though you know there's going to be some negative reaction, but you want to push forward, so you're willing to take the risk, but the more battles that you go through in your ministry, you get to the point, now this is not me, okay, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, The older you get, you don't want to have that battle. You don't want to have that fight. You don't want to create a conflict because that that person's connected to those folks, and those folks are connected to those folks. And my goodness, if we're not careful, we're we're going to have folks against folks, and this is not good. And so the tendency could be if you're not careful, and this is why it's good to think retirement at some point, you just stick your head in the sand and you say, I don't want to deal with it. Right, And then what happens if you're not dealing with it, then it's being dealt with out there, and that's not good. That's never good. And so then there's a mess that takes place, and and but you're still coming, and Ooh, it's all good, and your head's in the sand, and you're ignoring everything. That's not good. That's not good in pastoring. It's not good in parenting. I'm sitting here reading the book. The kitchen's on fire. <laughs> Something's happening in the backyard. Oh, my goodness, I think I saw a kid jump off. But uh, this is a great book. If I'm just saying that is something that happens. I don't know, guess just in development. That's what happens. Let, 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 let me knock that in the head, okay? What, well, let, let me do that. Let me knock that in the head. We should never get to the place that we become so crusty in our thinking that we can't think outside of the box, especially, I'm talking about the kingdom of God here, I'm talking about the kingdom of God, especially when it comes to the kingdom of God to think that we have all the answers. We don't have all the answers. And then history keeps marching along. There may be better ways of doing things so that we can reach the people that are coming into the house of God. And the thing that should motivate and drive us is revival. Revival supersedes and trumps everything else. Else. Yeah, but that makes me uncomfortable. My being comfortable is not what matters. What matters is revival. That's what I'm pursuing. That's what I'm reaching for. I don't ever want to get to the place where my thinking becomes fixed. But God, stretch me, help me, use me. Yeah. Praise God. So the Bible talks about these areas where fear controls and keeps us from extending ourselves in the kingdom. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 15 says, You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. God has called us out of a world of fear and domination, and he's adopted us into something that is greater, and what controls us is love, not fear. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 6 says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, here's what's fascinating. First of all, those three things are powerful. He's given to us power. He's given to us love. And he's given to us a sound mind. When I was in the world being directed by the world, I didn't have a sound mind. But when God turned some things around in my life and in my world, I started thinking differently because I realized I was following a deception and a lie. But truth came to me. And he empowered me. And he gave to me love. Not rejection, but love. But here's, here's what's interesting about that. He said fear, and he had to counteract it with three other powerful things. Is that not interesting? He didn't say God has not given you fear, but he's given you power, and that was enough. He said you have power and Love And a sound mind. So it's interesting. To overcome the lower baser level of fear, you need three things to overcome it. You need power, you need love, and you need a sound mind. You're not going to overcome a powerful dominant force called fear if there is not power in your life, if there is not love in your life, and if you don't have a sound mind in your life. God puts these things into our world so that we can be an overcomer. I'm going to overcome fear. I'm going to overcome that domination, depression and stress and anxiety, fear of phobias of every type. God has given me something more powerful than that. And so I can stand in the house of God today with an attitude of joy that is unspeakable and full of glory because I've got something valuable. That's a lower level. Hebrews chapter two, verse 15. Said and deliver them, deliver them who through fear of death. Every day when I'm looking at online news articles and sites, there's always people that are trying to do stuff to be ageless. Well, guess what? I hate to disappoint you, but it's just going to happen. There's, there's no, it's just a reality. And you can spend a lot of money and you can try to fix a lot of that stuff, but unfortunately you end up looking worse when it's all said and done. I mean, I love, Joan Rivers cracked me up because Joan Rivers, a lot of, everybody here should probably know Joan Rivers, except for some of the young married couples. Joan Rivers, had, she was an actress and had a, a radio show, and she was all in high society, and she did a lot of cosmetic surgery, and she didn't apologize for it. She's like, oh, yeah, I died thousands of dollars. But Joan Rivers, uh, at some point, even by her own admission, this is what was funny, they asked, they said something, and she started laughing, and she said, am I laughing? I think I'm laughing. I'm not sure if I'm laughing. She couldn't feel her face. <laughs> fear of death. Fear of death, this is a strong, strong sentiment where all their lifetime subject to bondage. Who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The thrust is that fear is a concept that freezes us. In time, so that we cannot move or function. Time passes, but we are paralyzed. We, we come up with all kinds of excuses for this. You know, sometimes it's good to get around friends that just call you on some of your stuff. Right? That's just an excuse. I mean, you, you got to be close to some people that can talk to you like that, but you need to get around somebody that can talk to you like that. Most of the time it's supposed to be your spouse, but sometimes, you know. Sometimes they, <laughs> we come up with a bunch of excuses. Well, I don't have any talents, so that's why I can't be used of God. That's not true. I don't have the abilities, so therefore I can't be used to. I'm too old. God, God, there's nothing in the scripture that ever says that a person's age has anything to do with making an impact in the kingdom of God. Or I'm too young or I can't do it again because I did it and it didn't work out and I tried. And and there's many, many examples that we can come up with. That is a it's fear of all of these things that are excuses. Fear has a tendency to either immobilize people or seriously affect their activity this is this is especially true with the spiritually uncommitted i don't know what to do i'm kind of stuck because i'm afraid of all these these things and there's ripple effects and and there's this and there's that that can happen if i step out here and then, then that becomes offensive and, and all of this kind of stuff. Listen to me. That's a controlling factor of fear. At some point, you got to say, okay, there's the threshold. There's the line that is drawn in the stand. I'm stepping over it and saying, God, I am going to serve you no matter what because I recognize that it is the best thing that I could be doing with my life and my time. There is purpose in it. There's salvation in it. There's re- Redemption in it. And so I'm stepping out by faith and leaving the old life of fear and control behind me and stepping into a new realm of liberty and grace and mercy and the goodness of God. Is there a witness in the house here today that would say, you know what, I was there once in my life and recognized, spent too much time, but when I stepped into God's goodness, Blessing came and things opened up in my life. We look in the scripture, Saul he feared the people, and it caused him to transgress the commandment of the Lord. So fear of people. The parents in the New Testament who had a blind son, he was healed by Jesus. It says that they feared the Jews. And in the parable of the talents, there was a man whose fear prevented him from doing his reasonable duty because he feared the master would call him on his lack of productivity. Fear, fear paralyzes us. One of the greatest scriptures that can be found on this is the prophet Elijah. And we could take one of the greatest prophets in the scripture to help us connect and understand That it happens to everybody. Elijah confronts 400 prophets of Baal. He walks into Ahab's kingdom and and tells him, because of your action and your false worship and and the influence of your wife, who is not a Hebrew and not a Jew, you've allowed all kinds of idolatry in. And so because of that, there's going to be a famine. It's not going to rain until I come back. That takes some guts. Step into a place like that and then know that, the whole, that, that there's a bounty on your head. And so he does. He calls 400 prophets of Baal. He, there's on the, on the top of Mount Carmel. He has a contest of who's going to be God and that God's going to answer by fire. And he accomplishes that task pours water on the sacrifice in a period of drought. And God works a a mighty miracle. But the minute Jezebel understands that he has destroyed 400 of the prophets of Baal, she sends to him a messenger and says to him, so let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Scared him to death. Elijah, he runs for his life. He comes to Beersheba. Beersheba, which is way down in the desert area. In the wilderness, sits under a tree and requests that he might die. He's paralyzed. Paralyzed by the power of a woman by the name of Jezebel. And so he doesn't know what to do. That controls him. It paralyzes, it immobilizes him. And then he starts having a pity party for himself. I'm the only one, the only one that is serving the God of Israel. And God has to illustrate to him by taking him to the mouth of a cave. And there is a wind and there's an earthquake and there's a fire and then there's silence. And then there's a voice that speaks to him and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And God reveals to him. There is 7,000. There are 7,000 in Israel. Whose knees have not bowed unto unto Baal. And every mouth which hath not kissed him. This is a controlling. This is a dominating fear. It is a lower level strata of fear. Amen. But what I've come to just. Drop into your spirit here today. I want you to leave with this. and I want you to leave knowing this. That the Bible is very, very clear that <clears throat> the, the definition of fear is more complex than what we traditionally put to it, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it has two, primarily, two primary meanings. Reverence or dread, or what we would commonly say fear. And in the New Testament, it's phobos, which we get phobia from, or fear, or terror. So, there are some references like we read in our text that's not referring to that lower strata of fear that is a negative thing. It is a reverence toward God that brings wisdom. Stop and think about this. Stop and think about this. I don't think so. I don't think so. Stop and think about this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Are you going to get wisdom from somebody that you fear? You probably will, but it's not going to be the best kind of wisdom. I get the most from people that I can trust and put my confidence in, not people that I'm not sure about. And so there is a reverential relationship that allows someone to speak into your world, into your existence and tell you and call you out on stuff. And that's going to bring wisdom and knowledge to you, not because you fear them negatively, because you reverence them positively. That's the fear factor I'm talking about. When you have a genuine faith and it's animated by, it is a reverential awe and this is is your understanding of how great God is The fear of God and that component means that you recognize he is awesome. You recognize he is majestic. You recognize he is a sovereign God. And when you recognize that you open your spirit to receive the fear of the Lord that is a reverence that stands in awe of how great God is that can bring to you wisdom and understanding. You can serve a tyrant if you want to. A lot of the world believes in God like some tyrant that is waiting around to beat them up for every failure. You're not going to learn any wisdom, get any understanding. It's all going to be negative, negative. and if that's the way you want to view God, you can go ahead and view God that way if you want to. I view God as awesome. I view God as sovereign. I view God as one that is able to do the impossible, that picks me out of difficult situations, that walks with me through the fire, that is there with me in the fiery furnace. It opens my spirit To say, God, breathe into my heart. Breathe into my life. Give to me understanding. Give to me comprehension. It's built on a respect of how great God is. Come on, we need to thank God. That's the fear factor we need. That's the fear factor we need. God is great and greatly to be praised. God is sovereign. God is an awesome God. He's done great things in my life. I've got a testimony. I can overcome by the, by the testimony that he's given to me. I don't have to live according to the fear of the world, but there is something that is greater. Praise God. That's the message. <laughs> That's the message here today. You can, you can base your life on the fear of the Lord. It's not a negative thing, but it is a positive, powerful thing because God has done great things in your life, and you open your spirit so that there is wisdom and understanding and knowledge that comes to you that is able to overcome every attack of the world and the enemy and your flesh. You don't have to fear the unknown because you've got a God that has it all in control. Hallelujah. He's got it in his hand. He's a sovereign God. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow I don't know either but this I do know whatever happens God's got it all in control he's the king of kings and the lord of lords I'm going to walk according to that understanding praise God as musicians come let me just leave you a few verses that reveal this reverential respect and awe of how great God is Psalm 50, Psalm verse, chapter 5, verse 7. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Ha ha ha. Woo, you, t- you tell me. Somebody coming into the sanctuary, fearful, leave that up there. In the negative sense, Wanting to worship God and praise God for the multitude of His mercy? No. I came to the house of God today. I'm coming into the sanctuary thanking Him for His mercy. And in that reverential awe and respect of how great He is, I worship Him. You know why I worship Him the way I worship Him? Because I recognize what He has done for me. You may not understand it because you don't understand my situation. But He saved me, sanctified me. I've got reason to worship Him because of his mercy. I didn't deserve it. I'm lifting my hands today because of his mercy and I'm thankful because of a respect of how great he is. That's the fear factor I want in my life. Praise God. Man, you know... Sometimes you have guests that may be sitting on the church pew. people are like, I don't get these people. What in the world? Sometimes you feel that when you're, like, preaching, teaching. But then you look out and you see Sister Lisa standing there who was addicted for years. Statistically, you shouldn't even be here, Sister Lisa. But it's because of God's mercy. It's God's mercy. You're not here in the house of God because you fear God on a lower level. There is some of that. We need to fear the judgments of God, but you don't get very far. When you're scaring people to death to altars, it may work, but that's really, that doesn't have a long term. When I was growing up, there were some preachers that could scare you. Brother Foss could absolutely frighten you out of your mind. I remember as a 14-year-old at a camp meeting where he was preaching, my knees were knocking. I I thought it was over. There is that level, but that's usually a short-term thing. A long-term thing is when you fall in love with Jesus so much, that's the fear factor I'm talking about. You have such reverence and awe of how great he is and his mercy to you and his loving kindness and his faithfulness to you. You don't come here out of fear. You come here out of respect. You come to the house of God out of respect for how good he is. Shelby, every time I look at you, I think of Carl Casey, honk, honk, honking the horn. The same guy that ran out of his house and told the bus drivers that were coming by his house to stop honking the horn. You're here in the house of God today because of his mercy, his excellent mercy. Psalm 111, verse number 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. In verse number 11 of Psalm 147 Put that one up there if you would. Psalm one forty-seven, verse number eleven. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear Him and those that hope in His mercy. You think, you think, you think God is like I take pleasure in people that are f- afraid of me? Not if we're talking about mercy. We're talking about a Lord that takes pleasure in those that respect and have reverence. Praise God. One last verse here. First John chapter four, verse number eighteen. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. He's talking about that lower level strata of fear. There's no perfect, there's no perfect love if you fear. I love my husband. I fear him, but I love him. I love him so much, but I fear that he's going to hit me. Okay, this is not... this is not good right and God is, is is the same way I love him and I respect him I stand in awe of what he does and his mercy to me and that's what the fear of the Lord means fear to get past fear overcome worldly fear the fear of the Lord overcomes worldly fear. the fear of the Lord overcomes bondage The fear of the Lord overcomes failure. The fear of the Lord overcomes the past. The fear of the Lord overcomes the future. The fear of the Lord overcomes sin. All I've got to do is I've got to get to Jesus with a reverence that believes that he can. He can eliminate a fear that is lower level that says you can't. And God says, oh, yes, you can. Because the fear of the Lord cast it out. What are you afraid of today? What are you afraid of today? What are you fearful of today? Amen. Let the fear of the Lord be something that is the control factor, the fear factor that motivates you and pushes you forward. We need to make an appointment with the altar today. Praise God. In conclusion, low level, not high stakes. You need to make an appointment with the altar today. Quick, 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 quick. Don't delay. Don't, don't look at me like I've lost my mind. Step out of the pew where you are. Walk to the front as fast as you well, can. You don't have to walk as fast as you can. Let's make an appointment with the altar today. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. God, praise God. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place here today. We've got some room right here, right up front. Praise God. Come on, you got your place, you got your position in an altar. Praise God. I made an appointment today to hear the word of the Lord, and today the word of the Lord is instructing me, helping me understand that there is a fear that can control me and drive me, but I'm up my hands because the fear of the Lord is greater than any worldly fear. The fear of the Lord is greater than any personal fear. The fear of the Lord is more powerful than anything that could come against me. God, I'm standing in all of your ability. I'm thanking you in the house of God today. I'm lifting up my voice. Oh, come on, let's lift up our hands today. I thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Ghost that gives me the power and the ability. Hallelujah, I'm praying to you. I'm asking you, help me to overcome Much here. I know you're struggling with some things. I know you're fighting some, some things, but there is a fear of the Lord that is greater. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I thank you. I praise you for your mercy. I praise you for your faithfulness. I praise you for your goodness.